we are on the third uh, third text. Uh, the first text just sort of announces the the topic. Uh, the supreme personality of Godhead said, "Those who give up these methods for achieving me, which consist of devotional service, analytic philosophy, and regulated execution of prescribed duties, and instead become moved by." The material senses cultivate insignificant sense gratification. Uh, cult- uh, the, the, and instead, being moved by insignificant sense gratification, being moved by the material senses cultivate insignificant sense gratification. Certainly, undergo the continued continual cycle of material existence. That's the topic. Those who reject. Uh, uh, karma yoga in the sense of giving up the fruits of the action, uh, jnana yoga, and uh, uh, bhakti yoga. And those people. And then uh, the, the next two texts uh, uh, give a kind of uh, uh, introduction to the topic of proper determination of guna and dosha, of positive and negative. You can say, you know, pluses and minuses, good things and bad things, piety, impiety, and so on. So here uh, in, in text two, uh, Krishna is given steadiness, the general rule, steadiness in one's own position is declared to be actual piety, whereas deviation from one's position is considered impiety, in this way, the, the two are definitely ascertained. Now, we start with text three, where it's down to more particular details for particular cases. Uh, so uh, we haven't, uh, we, we start with this one. Uh, before I recite the text, say, Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya, now, text three has has, uh, has three lines instead of two lines, and to compensate for that, text four four only has one line. Uh, so, uh, this is text three. Should should he he te excuse me. Should should he Saman Neshvati Vastu Shu Dovyasya Vichit Saritam Unadosha Subhashivao Dharmarta Vyavahararitam Yatratram Ittichanagaha. So the way this is translated here is uh, O sinless Uddhava. In order to understand what is proper in life, one must evaluate the given object within its particular category. Thus, in analyzing religious principles, one must consider purity and impurity. Similarly, in one's ordinary dealings, one must distinguish between good and bad, and and to ensure one's physical survival, one must recognize that which is auspicious and inauspicious. Um, this is, needs a little unpacking here. Um, 
especially because the the the, the Sanskrit uh, is uh, word order doesn't come anything close to the English word order. <laughs> And so, at least for me, when I study these verses, I, 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 I try to understand, because I've provided you word-for-word -word meanings, you, I always try to go back and see how it's put together. And uh, uh, so, so the, the, the way that, another way that this is translated by Swami, O Sinless Uddhava, in order to resol resolve doubts about certain objects among general objects, uh, because it has this word, shuddhi, ashuddhi, are established. Purity and impurity, usually shuddhi, ashuddhi, uh, uh, are established. And then it says, samaneshu api vastushu. So, of the same category and among objects, and then drovasya of a particular object, so you really can't try to understand how this is put together, you know. So, so, so you have to reword it, but anyway, uh, here says, uh, to understand what is proper in life, one must evaluate a given object within its particular category, uh, the way Swami, in order to resol resolve doubts about certain objects among general objects, they are established as good or bad, pure and impure, auspicious or inauspicious. In terms of dharma, they are classed as pure and impure. In terms of common dealings, they are classed as good and bad. And in terms of circumstance, they are classed as auspicious or inauspicious. Because here... Uh, the, 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 the word uh, circumstance is being used for this yatartam. At the end, you see the three purposes are there. Dharma, artam, uh, for the purposes of dharma. Vyavahara, artam, for the purposes of ordinary dealings. And then yatra, artam, uh, which translated here as one's physical survival and but Banuswami says in terms of circumstances, well, I had to figure out <laughs> what's going on here. Uh, and uh, the the word the word yatra, uh, which we are all familiar with, in for like ratha yatra and, and, and so on. The basic meaning of yatra is to go, to set off, take a journey, to the expedition, a march, uh, then to go on pilgrimage, and then from that it's a festive train, a procession, like Ratha Yatra. And then for that it's also sometimes called a feast or a festival, because that's what happens. But then another, in another category is, uh, for Yatra, is support of life, livelihood, and maintenance. So that's where they say in order of, of, of matters of survival, like just living. Uh, and it also just means dealings, uh, uh, worldly dealings. Uh, uh, and there are a few other meanings too. But but then, then when you look at Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur's commentary, 
uh, he says, it is applied according to circumstance, yatrakam, as auspicious and inauspicious. Though hoarding, his example is, though hoarding is inauspicious in times of calamity, collecting for survival is auspicious. Though excessive hoarding is still inauspicious and a sin. So that's where they get the idea of rattles for survival. So, uh, so according to circumstances, in other words, there are rules. Uh, we have these uh, sections in, in the Bhagavatam which gives uh, rules of life for the various uh, uh, varnas uh, and then says, but in emergency conditions, you can do this and you can do that and you can do this. So I think that's what it means by circumstance, or they say, for survival. Uh, so hoarding is inauspicious in times of calamity. Collecting for survival is auspicious. But still, he says, you shouldn't go too far. So there are, there are rules for, there are proper and improper uh, f- for your physical survival. So there's three things in this verse. Uh, uh, the, let's just say the positives and the negatives, right? The, the pluses and the minuses, the good and the bad. So it, when it's uh, d- dharma, matters of religious principle, dharma artho, uh, signifying religious principle, uh, then it is, uh, the terms are shuddhi and ashuddhi, uh, which is pure and impure here. You notice in the text, uh, uh, should be ashuddhi, and then th- there's the other thing saying that you have to evaluate things according to uh, characteristics, uh, and then it's only later they pick on the uh, the uh, other shuba shuba uh, and runa uh, dosha later on. So, because in Sanskrit, because Sanskrit's what what's technically called an inflected language whether something is a subject of a sentence, an object of a sentence, uh, 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 the subject of a verb, the object of a verb, an indirect object, all that is shown by word endings. So we don't, we don't say, if you say the dog bit the boy, you only know who is the biter and the bitten by word order. But where the subject of a sentence has one kind of ending, the, the the object of the ver- the subject of the verb has one kind of ending whatsoever. The object of the verb has another kind of ending or the indirect object. They are all they are all determined by word endings. If you just like that, then you can scramble the word order any way you like. Practically, Latin's like that, Greek's like that, German to some extent, but English. Oh, we've lost almost all inflections, who and whom it survives some, somewhat, and a few things, but they're almost gone. Because the older languages are, the more inflected they are, and as, as time goes by, they tend to get simpler and simpler and simpler, which is an interesting fact. But anyway, that's the way it is. I just, so that, that's why sometimes when you're studying the, the, the Sanskrit, you just can't depend upon word order. You, ha- you have to know something about Sanskrit grammar in order to, you know, Put the pieces of the puzzle together. Anyway, so uh, so here it introduces the category should be ashuddhi, and then it gives the rest of the list. So just breaking apart, so shuddhi and ashuddhi, which is pure and impure, pertains to matters of dharma. 
when it comes to Vyavaharaka Artam, here translated as uh, Vyavahara Artam. Vyavahara is translated as ordinary dealings. Uh, when it comes to ordinary dealings, then guna and dosha, just good and bad. Uh, and then yatra, when issues of basic survival, uh, auspicious and inauspicious. Auspicious in the sense will lead to a good result and inauspicious will lead to a bad result. Uh, 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 just a comment about the word uh, vyavahara. Uh, this is a, uh, uh, a word that shows up uh, in Vedanta commentaries. I think all, all of the commentaries take use of this distinction. Uh, when you have a Vedantic statement, it's, there can be uh, two kinds. Uh, one is called paramartika, param, uh, per- something pertains to paramartika, that is uh, absolute reality or spiritual reality, and vyavaharika, empirical reality. So you may be familiar with this term, vyavahara, uh, ordinary dealings, customary dealings, like it's used this way uh, by Bhaktivinoda Thakur and Jaiva Dharma, where his uh, kind of spokesperson in a dialogue, Vaishnava Das Babaji, he says, human activities can be categorized under two he- headings, Vyavaharika, mundane and social, and Paramartika. Uh, parama, yeah, para, paramartika, paramartika, spiritual. And then he gives this example. There are instances when a person is spiritually advanced but is not allowed to perform certain mundane vyavaharika activities. For example, a person is born as a Muslim but acquires the qualities of sattva guna just like a pure brahmana. In fact, spiritually, he is a brahmana, yet he is barred from the vyavaharika act of marrying a brahmana bride, that is the daughter of a brahmana, as his example. So, so this, is, this is a really important distinction, actually. I, uh, yesterday I was in a, in a symposium uh, at Princeton University with a bunch of scholars and then a bunch of practitioners, and it was called White Hindus, a provocative title, uh, White Hindus, about the fact that there uh, there are, there are people who, who practice things that are perceived as Hindu practices but are not belonging to the, 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 the Hindu people, the, the Arya people, the, you know, the people of India, like me, for example. And there are other people following yoga and things like that. We have, have a panel. And one thing I had to talk about for ISKCON was our use of the word or not use of the word Hindu. Uh, uh, because Prabhupada has never used it and, and says we're not practicing Hinduism, we're practicing Sanatana Dharma. And here in this consideration, this Paramartika and Vyavaharika come into consideration because in certain times when dealing with mundane people in mundane categories, it's, it's necessary uh, uh, to use it. Uh, and uh, and uh, other times and other other circumstances, it's it's we don't use it. 
Uh, anyway, I won't get into that whole topic now because, <laughs> because uh, but but uh, so it was interesting that the word vyavahara came up here too, ordinary dealings. Uh, so to summarize now, again here this verse says you you have to understand a given object within its category, uh, within its its, its 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 and so they give three categories. Uh, the category of dharma, religious principles, with shuddha, ashuddha, that's the terms of evaluation, pure and impure. Now they're going to do this in the big, not next chunk of this chapter. We're going to go through this. Uh, and also remember, we are really talking about people who are following the Vedas, but who are not transcendentalists. Technically, this is meant, the term is karmi. Yeah. Uh, it, became, it became a term in this con for some time to refer to non-devotees as karmis, which is, but since they're not following any religious principle, they're not any kind of Vedas or any directions, they're actually the karmis. Because a karmi is one who at least will will perform uh, try to perform good deeds and, and uh, restricted sense gratification so at least their next birth will be materially okay or even they'll go to the heavenly planets those who want to go to the heavenly planets are karmis they desire the fruits of their work uh, and, and so those people are so a, a karmi is actually pious in the sense that they follow religious rules. One of, one of my god sisters um, came from a Jewish family, told me that she had uh, asked uh, Srila Prabhupada about her grandfather, who was a rabbi, and followed all the 614 commandments of Torah. Is that the right number? 613, yes. 613 commandments of Torah. You know, we really quite religiously followed them. And she described this to uh, the, the injunctions of the scripture. She described this to Srila Prabhupada. And these are people who are not vegetarians and who even eat cows, right? She described her grandfather like, and she asked him, what is his future? And Prabhupada said, if he strictly followed, he went to the heavenly planets, So this, 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 this very interesting reply. Huh? First of all, he gives some validity to the Torah as, as you know, having genuine religious principles. And it does definitely restrict sense gratification if you actually follow. And, and of course, there was a, for many years, there still is a whole rabbinical industry to deal with particular what, is, what, is, what violates the commandments and what doesn't violate the commandments and how can you technically get them around them, you know? Uh, but there are many Orthodox Jews who on the Sabbath, they have some Gentile girl come and turn their lights on and off, and, you know, <laughs> so, so they can a actually do certain things that they're not allowed to do, by, that Jews are not allowed to do on the, on the Sabbath. Anyway, that, because that, 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 that kind of strict Judaism is a karma religion. Now, there, there are other Jews who actually go 
you know, uh, much much further than that. But that's 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 one one strand of Judaism. And it all also has the Kabbalah and things like that, where it gets gets to be uh, uh, really seeking transcendence. Um, but anyway, uh, so so then so the people who don't follow any religious principles. Uh, those people are are not karmis. They're vikarmis. That means the results of their activities will lead them down to lower births in this planet or down to the, the hellish planets and, uh, and so on. Uh, so this is describing the karmis, right? Now, so so this this introduces this this topic. And then there's a couple of, uh, there, there's uh, 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 the next uh, verses from 4 to 7 uh, seems to be a little digressive in some ways, but, uh, uh, but, but they, to me they, they fit together. So text 4, uh, anyway, I'll go back on and uh, talk about that a little bit. Darshito yam mayacharo dharmam udvahatam duram. See, this is this is like a one-line text. If it's broken into two lines, they just split the line into two parts, two padas. But if you look at the Sanskrit, a line has has a has a bar at the end, and the verse ends with a double bar. It's actually called a danda. <laughs> Has a done that. So, so when we write them, they they split them in, in two, uh, and the second second part of the line is indented, which is a rule in English for splitting up verses of poetry. You should actually split up a, a, a long verse into two lines for different reasons. You do like that. So, so then he says. So almost because the three the last one has has uh, has three lines. Uh, this one has one, which kind of suggests they kind of go together in a way. Um, so this here he says, Darishita ayam. I, I, uh, uh, this has been revealed by me, literally. Darishita. Uh, this is revealed by me. This ayam. This. Uh, uh, and what acharaha way of life. Uh, 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 dharma, the religious principles uh, uh, for, for the, the, this way of life, for those who are bearing, okay, so here he's revealed this, Udvahatam, for those who are bearing Duram, the burden of the religious principles of this way of life. So this way of life uh, 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 here, who, who, whose way of life? Those who are bearing the burden of religious principles. Uh, the BBT uh, translators say mundane. <laughs> they add that clarifying word. So this, this dharma uh, here in context refers to these people who are not following the three that he's already given. So this is the fourth. The three is, is uh, 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 Nishkama Karma Yoga. 
Jnana Yoga and Bhakti Yoga. So those are the three that in the previous chapter Krishna said that these are the ones that, that are especially given by those who are uh, transcendentalists who want to transcend the material world. Uh, so so this here uh, in context yeah, quite well to read this uh, as those who have this Duram, the, the burden uh, of dharma dharam the burden of dharma so the burden of mundane religious principles however uh, Vishnu Chakravarti's take is a little different this means that previous acharyas have also read it to different ways and the general idea is if there are different readings they're all true <laughs> by the authorities and you have to find your first principles to find a way to find out how they all apply. <laughs> so so, so Swami says, I have revealed this way of life for persons bearing the burden of dharma. He just says dharma. doesn't have a mundane in there, just dharma. Because Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur's comment is, I, in the form of Manu and others, I meaning Krishna speaking, I, in the form of Manu and others, have shown this conduct for the persons responsible for instituting Dharma. That is their burden as a responsibility. So, that, so that's why. <laughs> so that, that can be a little more broad. So both the broad meaning is there and the particular meaning and context is, is there. Uh, and I am this can also refer to what's been given in previous uh, chapters too. But mostly, in the context, this is referring to Varnashram Dharma. Uh, that'll, that'll be clear. Uh, 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 so this is... Uh, 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 so th- this fourth verse kind of goes with explaining what, uh, what we have just heard about the Shudhya, Shudhi, Guna, Dosha, and Shubha, Shubha uh, for these uh, Dharma and Vyaharika and Yatra issues. But then there's something that looked to me like I couldn't really at first understand why it was here. Uh, and uh, uh, then it became clear to me uh, the next two verses, which seems to just change the whole topic. Uh, because it starts with Bhumi, Ambu, Agni, uh, uh, Anila, and Akasha. Uh, or if you put them all together, you know, and hook the boxcars of words together like in a train, Bhum, Yambu, Vagni, Yanila, Akasha, where the final I's turn to Y's and so on. It becomes one big uh, train of a word. <laughs> but it's a list. Earth, water, fire, air, and akasha, sky or ether. Hmm? Uh, so how do we go to, to this, right? Um, uh, but anyway, bhutanam uh, panchadavataha. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Bhutanam panchadatavaha. Abrama stavaradinam sharira atma sharira atma 
Interesting. Charira Atma Samyuta. Earth, water, fire, air, and ether. Another word is space. Uh, empty space. Uh, uh, so we don't, we don't, sky is, what is sky, you know, but so ether was a word used actually uh, in, in physics for a long time, that there was something uh, that was, uh, that was uh, the, the idea of ether that uh, that was a subtle element that constituted empty space, and then they got rid of that. But we still are using it. But it really just means space, empty space, which is far from empty. Shadapuda told me that it takes many pages of equations in quantum mechanics to describe empty space. So it's not nothing. <laughs> a vacuum has got all kinds of <laughs> properties. <laughs> anyway, so these are the, 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 the five basic elements that constitute the bodies of all conditioned souls. Uh, uh, so it says, of all, of all bhutanam, of all beings in a way, you know, living, you could say all living beings, pancha datu. Datu is an element, a basic element. These are the five basic elements that make up the, the bodies of all living beings. Abrahma, from Lord Brahma, that longing in the beginning means from, we have that also in the Bhagavad Gita, Abrahma, Abrahma, Bhuvana, Loka, from Brahma, all the way down. So from Lord Brahma, Stavara Adinam, down to the uh, Stavara, those that don't move. So here the scope is, every created being. I mean, this is a big scope that constitute the, 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 the bodies from Brahma, even Brahma has a, has a material body. Although whether it has anything other than maybe sky or air as its elements, we don't know. I don't know. I, I have a feeling that, that they're, they're subtle, subtle, subtler bodies than ours, nicer anyway. So they last a long time. <laughs> and these are from, from down to the, from Brahma down to the, the immobile uh, uh, creatures, uh, Sharira for their bodies, uh, Atmasamyutaha. Uh, now this word, Atmasamyutaha, is say here, they take it here, these elements all emanate from the one personality of Godhead. Uh, the word samyuta, uh, which is translated here in the word for word as equally related, and they take atma as referring to the Supreme Lord. That's one reading. <laughs> but... Uh, Here's Banuswami's translation, again based on Vishnath Chakravarti Thakur's understanding of the verse. Earth, water, fire, air, and ether are the five basic elements that constitute the bodies of all beings from Brahma down to the non-moving creatures. They are all endowed with Atma. Because Samyutta means joined or connected to. 
uh, atma, they are joined or connected to atma. Uh, uh, so atma samyutta means yeah, relating to uh, atma or uh, are in conjunction with atma uh, and so on. So you can take it both ways, depending on what you mean by atma. So the word atma is all over the place. Uh, it, it can also mean, according to circumstance, I mean, it means self, really. Mm-hmm. So if I, I say, when I drop a book on my finger or something heavy on my finger and it hurts, I say, I hurt myself. Now, I know I'm not the body, but I have to say myself. Because in context, you know, it's the reflective pronoun. You know, I hurt myself. Uh, I don't say I hurt my not-self. Uh, so it can mean, uh, Prabhupada explains this in the six cantos, the word atma can refer to the body, it can refer to the mind, it can refer to the soul, and it can also refer to the self of the self, all of these things. So that's, the way it is. And so that's why you have to know what it means. And here it can have multiple meanings. And there, in this case, you can see easily they're both true. Because, because uh, uh, here, here uh, I, to, to me, this verse and the next verse uh, together is a kind of, uh, in its widest understanding, is a kind of covers territory that's going to be con- con- covered in the in, in this whole chapter, because the last part of this chapter starts talking about the Vedas, uh, and uh, here first talks about the world as being emanated from the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He's the the producer of the world, and he is the producer of the embodied souls. Uh And he's the producer of the bodies. Another, he is the, everything comes from Krishna, and everything is related to Krishna. Uh, And then the next verse, the next verse talks about the Vedas. And that is another thing that Krishna has produced. Two things, in the material, well, more than two, but at least in the material world, he produces the Vedas and he produces the material world. So, Vedena, says six, Vedena, Namarupani, Vishamani, Sameshvapi, Datu Shuddhava Kalpyanta Etesham Swarta Siddhaye. So this is translated, uh, My dear Uddhava, although all material bodies are composed of the same five elements and are thus equal, because we all share in the same five elements. uh, different names uh, in the, the Vedic literature, excuse me, uh, my dear Uddhava, although all material bodies are composed of the same five elements and are thus equal, 
The Vedic literature conceive of different names and forms in relation to such bodies so that the living entities may achieve their goal of life. Uh, so here, uh, this, the, the, the words are, the Veda, uh, uh, Nama, Rupani, Vishamani. Uh, uh, these, these words uh, that there are uh, 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 b- bodies uh, of v- varieties of names and forms uh, refers to the uh, the BBT uh, commentary uh, the system of Varnashram Dharma. So here now really in practical application here, uh, uh, the ones that have goals of life, uh, but it, it, you know, so it's taken here in the context of a chapter referring to human beings and the system of Varnashram Dharma. That's to which the Vedic injunction explains. Although every living being has got some swarta, swarta, some self-interest, even if it's just, you know, getting food and staying alive and not being eaten <laughs> by somebody else. They, they all have their self-interest, uh, uh, even among the non-humans. But here, so everybody, this, but in the context of the chapter, but in the wider scope, it really does apply to the, all different uh, things. Uh, the Vedic literature conceive of different names and forms in relationship to such bodies so that the living entities may achieve their goals of life. So Vishnu Chakravarti says, and here the BBT follows him, in the bodies made of the same elements, different names and forms, words and the objects they represent, are made relating to Varnashram, such as Brahmana, Brahmachari, betel nut seller, <laughs> or oil man. The aim of making these names and forms are explained. They allow humans to attain goals in terms of dharma by restricting enjoying tendencies. So that's the specific topic of this, this, uh, this particular uh, chapter. Uh, but, it has a, but the way it's stated is kind of overarching. Uh, 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 and uh, so the, these two productions of the universe and the Vedas, and and uh, but of course the universe is made uh, for conditioned souls so they can go up. So those in the uh, those in the animal bodies, their conduct, uh, if they have any freedom, it's very very tiny and is not really relevant. I do not think they're... We say good dog and bad dog, but I do not think for dogs there is piety or impiety. (laughs) Good and bad is just relative to us (laughs) and not the dog. There's no such thing as a moral or immoral dog. It's either useful or useless or (laughs) whatever (laughs) from our terms, right? Uh, But... But when you so when you get to the human form of life, however, that's when the scope of freedom is such that you are able to follow instructions by your own freedom. And the word ought or injunctions 
means this is what you you ought to do, but you're not confined. Uh, uh, when when they take away your freedom, uh, then then you have no choice. You you ought not to attack defenseless people. Most many of us don't attack uh, people because we it's, we obey the laws. Those people that attack people anyway and don't obey the laws, they are put in a condition where they have no choice, a very little choice. The government restricts their activities severely so that they cannot harm, cause harm, at, at least to the general population. That's, that's how it works. So the animals are like that. They, 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 are, they are restricted. Uh, but Prabhupada has said, a very interesting statement of his, he, he, he compares the production of the universe by Krishna, which is for the human beings, uh, to understand and, define, and to make advancement. And he, he compares it to uh, when you, 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 you get some new, new product. I'm looking here as I'm talking at several devices uh, which require an instruction manual. Uh, this computer, my laptop, well, Apple doesn't give you an <laughs> instruction manual, but a lot of us need it, and it's, it's available if you really want it. Other people make it. There's a whole series you know, for Apple products called the Missing Manual. <laughs> because Apple is very clever. They figure that they don't give you an instruction manual, and somebody else will do it. We don't have to bother with it. Their idea is it's so intuitively obvious you don't need it, which is wrong for most of us, at least at a certain age. <laughs> but, but usually you get some, some new device, you know, there's an instruction manual. So he said when the universe is produced, Krishna has produced also the instruction manual, and that's the Vedas. How to use it. You, you need it. You come into the universe, you have this human form of life, and you have this sense, what's it for? What's my purpose? Is it just to be like an animal, just to go on, satisfy my senses and die? You don't feel that's enough. You need something more. This is, this is the, the kind of instinctive human demand that we have to have some, there's some significance. And just basically material survival or even prosperity, it, it, it leaves you dissatisfied. And at the end of your life, you say, what have I done? Yeah, I was success. success. So that's what you've got a little mental satisfaction, that's all. You have, otherwise, you haven't achieved anything. So for, the, for understanding what human life is for, there are the Vedas. And he also produces Brahmanas, who are the people uh, with the, the right qualities and mentality to understand the Vedas, and therefore to teach the rest of us what our life is for. That's Krishna's system. That's what Varnashram is in the Vedas for, so that everybody, in the, at least once they achieve a human form of life, can make advancement. Uh, uh, so that, that's why this, these, uh, these, these texts are here are overlooking, uh, are kind of, in one sense, talking about what Krishna has revealed, uh, how he's created the earth, and he's created the Vedas, so that people can achieve the goal of, of life in a general way. Because the last part of this chapter is dealing with uh, Vedic sound and Vedic mantras. Uh, 
And that's how it fits in with this altogether. And it kind of widens the scope a little bit uh, in, in giving the, the, the large context of all of this, even though this chapter is specifically about the, the people who are not following the transcendent uh, path of transcendence, uh, Krishna then gets into how do we understand what the Vedas are, what the Vedic sound is, and how can we, how can we know that? And then it tells the different levels of, and why the Vedas, part of the Vedas is hard to understand, the proper import of the Vedas is hard to understand. That all comes up in the last part of this chapter. So in a sense, this is the uh, large scope of this, the, these, these beginning verses. Then when we come, uh, we'll stop here, but uh, then uh, from text 7 through 15 coming up, there'll be the discussion of purity and impurity and so on, those kinds of dualities, and the purification of place and time and objects and so on. And this is especially the karma kanda uh, section of the Vedas. That, that will be described. And this is introduced in text 7, and then very specifically it goes into the, how to determine whether a place is pure, whether time is pure, whether objects are pure, how to purify objects, how to purify the person who purifies, how to purify mantras, and how to purify karma, uh, uh, and, uh, and so on. Uh, these are... Uh, um, will be the, be the next part of the discussion. Uh, uh, so, so again, just, just, just if you, 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 look, you look back again at these, uh, these texts, there's been the, the, uh, the, the idea that you have to understand things according to their context uh, of, of good and bad, and then gone on to to talk about the uh, uh, this way of life has been revealed uh, he, uh, for the those bearing the burden of religious principles or mundane religious principles in this context, and then turn to talk about uh, uh, how the Conditions, all conditioned souls, uh, uh, they, they are their bodies and, and various conditions in their, their bodies all come from the Supreme Lord. And also the Vedas are given by the Supreme Lord so that the people in these various bodies can achieve their ends of life. Uh, so that's kind of a, as I said, a particular introduction to this topic and in the wider sense the whole, the, the, the whole context of, uh, of the, the material world and the Vedas as part of the uh, production. That the world has been created by Krishna in the beginning for a purpose, and there's, there's the manual, the user's manual, for those in the human form of life, how to, how to properly uh, do that. But now we will turn to a uh, time for questions and answers. I'm going to... Uh, okay, there, now, now I'm, going, I'm going to... Uh, uh, put, put my... Uh, 
put my phone on so that everyone can hear, and you can uh, call in by unmuting your phone if you're on the conference call by pressing star six. Please don't forget when you're finished speaking to re-mute the phone again. Huh? Oh, the system can do that for you. And then, uh, then also, if you're you're on uh, uh, UStream, you can um, you can text in a message, and we'll share it by the medium of the speakerphone. My question is about the balance of worldliness and unworldliness. The BBC's purport to text 3 says, any sane person accepts the practical and immediate necessity of material discrimination. But by common material discrimination, the full surrender demonstrated by Srivast Thakur or Sudama Bhutra of Kola Vecha might be looked upon as impractical and insane. So how are we to be simultaneously surrendered and also, quote, practical. I don't know if everybody could hear that. I don't know if people on the speakerphone could hear it. I got it here, so um, so that they, they, I'll repeat it if I understand it right. Um, so Kendra is is as asking. Uh, he quoted from here. What is that? Uh, and the, the, the BBT as a text tree has a fairly long uh, purport, um, and he says that uh, uh, how we we have to be able to dis distinguish even in our early dealings He says, any sane person accepts the practical and immediate necessity of material discrimination, meaning in ordinary life we have to see what's, what's favorable and not favorable, uh, which is the best product to purchase. We look at all the comments on Amazon to the other people who have bought this and see if this is... So we are always discriminating what is better or what is worse. So everybody has to do that. So that's what he's talking about in ordinary material discrimination on that level of survival. Uh, it, it is there. But he says, one must ultimately come to the transcendental stage of Krishna consciousness. Uh, uh, so, uh, um, th there an adjustment has to be made sometimes about how to apply the standards of Krishna consciousness and reconcile that with the necessities of survival. And that we have guidelines for that. But in one's own practical life, how to apply it in, in practical circumstances uh, uh, may be a little difficult. And, and that generally, if you can't decide, you should take advice from, from someone else. That, that's where you have spiritual guides and spiritual masters or more advanced and more experienced devotees that we can consult with on, on, on this matter because sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you have to make an adjustment and that, that requires good judgment. Uh, 
and there, there are emergency rules. There are things sometimes you have to do just to stay alive. Vishwamitra Muni ate a dog because there was nothing else to eat. And, you know, to, to do that just to stay alive, it's an emergency condition. And we hope that we are not already in a permanently, permanent emergency condition of life. And, you know, to live in this material society, you know, it's very difficult because we don't live in a society that's automatically conducive to spiritual advancement. It's all about sense gratification. And everything you get is about sense gratification. Uh, I just on the front page of the New York Times today was a big uh, article about how uh, with this cell phone in my hand and my laptop computer and an iPad, they can track when all are used by the same user so they can find out how they can provide advertisements to you on your iPhone from stuff you've looked at on your laptop because they can tell that you're the same person. Because the whole purpose of the whole thing is to make money by selling advertising. They've discovered that you have to target advertising to the right people to be affected. So how do we know the right people? So they can actually come pretty close for the purposes of advertising to track your every moment, every movement you make, which is kind of scary already, but then, you know, if the advertisers can do it, so can the government. So I'm just warning you about this. So, so that, but that's anyway, that's our society that we live in. So we, we understand. So my only thing is I understand the difficulty we all deal with it every day. We may have to make decisions sometimes about what to do. And Prabhupada gave us so many rules for eating and not eating, and sometimes we can't follow them all, simply because, you know, we don't use canned or frozen vegetables, but, you know, what can you do? There's nothing else to eat. Uh, that's a minor uh, uh, instance, but there's things like that. Uh, and... Uh, Use your common sense, as Prabhupada once told a lady. She, she had asked, actually, whether you could use a razor blade to, to... My wife reminded me the actual case. I brought this up before. Can I... She wrote, Prabhupada, can we use a razor blade to cut off Tulsi leaves? And he said, in this case, these kind of questions, use your common sense, and if you don't have any, ask somebody who does. Now, you can say, how do I know whether or not I have any common sense? <laughs> you can also ask somebody else, but maybe you can't tell who has common sense or not either. I don't know what to do. <laughs> but you can get a number of, you know, respectable opinions on, on, on some matter. She's going to call in. Hi, Krishna. Go ahead. Go ahead. I can hear you. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. My question is this. Let's see if I can word it properly. Um, in the verse, it was saying that it was making distinctions between how you qualify 
circumstances, how you qualify religious principles, and how you qualify ordinary dealings. And so, for example, I don't know, I think ordinary dealings you classify as good or bad, you know, religious principle, you know, I don't know, know, dharmic or adharmic, and things, things auspicious and inauspicious. So what I'm wondering is, you know, about the, the this terminology or the vernacular, you know, because it seemed like um, we could have used those adjectives for the adjectives could have been used could be used for any of those cat any of those three categories. You know, for example, uh, ordinary dealings. I mean, I could see that you could call those auspicious or inauspicious also, or um, you know, religious principles or something like that. I don't know, good or bad. You know, in other words, so what my question is, is um, is it, isn't it that it's not so important which adjective you use to describe the various categories, but just that you, isn't the point more to recognize that there are good, better, and best responses in in any particular situation that you are in, whether you're talking about an ordinary dealing, a religious principle, or um, whatever. You know, isn't that the basic point that we are meant to recognize that there is um, an appropriate response to whatever life situation we are in? rather than, you know, what we call it, good or bad, dharmic or adharmic. Okay, the answer is yes. Okay. You're right. Uh, uh, the main point is to distinguish these three realms of concern, and they're giving us uh, different uh, vocabulary for each one. But the particular vocabulary is not... not uh, uh, um, really important, but this helps kind of just delimit these three areas with this vocabulary. Because actually, if you look up uh, shuddha and ashuddha, it can also mean good and bad. And shuva yeah. ashuddha can also mean pure and impure, it, it, uh, according to circumstances. So even in Sanskrit, the words have multiple meanings and mm-hmm. can be used for these different categories. Uh, and the way you translate them into English is therefore also you have a lot of choices. But so I, I think, think like what Krishna is doing when he uses this vocabulary is to give you a distinct one to use for each particular area of concern just so you can keep it in your mind as, as three distinct areas. So the idea is to mention these three areas that the Vedas are dealing with uh, 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 so that the, the value judgments uh, that you make, these are what you call value judgments. The value judgments, and I think uh, they use this in the BBT purport, I mean the term value judgments enters into Western philosophy from Immanuel Kant, uh, and the whole idea of how you get from an is to an ought and so on uh, is an issue. But here, here these value judgments 
are, are different for different areas of concern sometimes. Uh, and that's the main point that's being made, so you're, you're correct. It's not the particular terminology that's important, but the fact that there are three realms of concern, and so there may be different sets uh, of rules for each of them, and, and we'll see how that uh, is illustrated in the next verses of this chapter, okay. how to determine these for different things. Because the Vedas give rulings on all three of them, uh -huh. all three areas. Well, okay? Yeah, I mean, maybe I should wait according to this answer. Maybe it sounds like my answer might come up in the next, in the following verses, but I, I, I wanted to get a better distinction between two of those three characters categories. One was um, ordinary dealings, and what, what's the other one? Not religious principles, but... Yacha Artham, basic issues of basic uh, survival. Oh, basic survival. Yeah, these are the three areas. Uh, Yacha Artham, issues of basic survival. He says circumstance. In other words, sometimes circumstances are so difficult yeah. that you can't follow the other two. So they give, as I mentioned in the, in the beginning, there, there are for every, every varna, there's your particular occupational duty and there's how you, what you may do in cases of emergency. Yeah. yeah. Where you can't, you can't survive by, by sticking to your particular duties. What else can you do? Like a brahmana can do agriculture. Uh, for for example, which is actually the occupational duty of of of, 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 of Vaisha, but if it's an emergency, yeah, you can do that. And then it also says even in an emergency, there's some things you should not do. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So then, actually, you know, what would be the distinction between? Can you speak a little louder? What would be the distinction between religious duties or religious principles? and ordinary dealings. Yeah, we'll see that. We'll, we'll oh, get into that. Okay. That will right. be something, because uh, they'll make it clear. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Anything else? We're all, we're all cool with this? Okay, so we'll conclude uh, and then uh, with this, and then... Will we be here next week? No. The next two Sundays we will not have class. Uh, I, I'll be in India. So we'll begin, uh, we'll resume this at this convenient breaking point uh, with uh, 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 text, uh, text number 7. What date is it, Shrana? October 27th. So you'll have some time to review this interesting uh, uh, chapter. So until October 27th, thank you very much. Srila Prabhupada, Ki Jai, Srimad Bhagavatam, Ki Jai.